welcome to Growth University. I'll invite you to stand with me. Why don't you just greet somebody near you and wish them a happy new year if you haven't done that already. Just let everybody gather and settle in a little bit. Anybody else in a holiday haze? Has anybody else not known what day it was for the last two weeks? I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I saw... Um, I saw a meme a couple weeks ago that um, had a stick figure and a line in between, so a stick figure on either side, and it said December 1st through 26th, and the stick figure had a little Santa hat on, have you seen this? And it said festive, and then the other side was the stick figure laying on the ground, <laughs> and it said December 26th through 30th, um, confused, full of cheese, not sure what day it is. <laughs> and I was like, that is perfect. That sums it up completely, but I, for one, am glad to be back in church on a Wednesday night because this helps establish for me <laughs> what day is it, where am I, what, what am I doing with my life. We're back at Growth University to study the Word of the Lord in 2023, and I'm really glad that you came. Wasn't uh, Sunday just a wonderful start to the new year? Pastor Tom's message on who are you wearing? I encourage you, if you weren't here, please do yourself a favor. Listen to this message. Re-listen to it. It was just a great beginning to a new year here at Calvary. I want to go to the Lord in prayer with you tonight. Um, and at the top of my prayer list is Sister Reed. I want us to pray and agree together. She's kind of in the middle of her treatment plan and um, very thankful that her mother is here. I'm just so excited that someone is here to take care of her. And that is an answer to prayer in and of itself. But I, I just want you to agree with me because I believe in your prayers and in the power of agreement according to the scripture that we are asking God for complete healing, however he chooses, for a complete recovery because that alone is a miracle in and of itself. And I am also asking God for no long-term effects or implications as it relates to this cancer or the treatment that she's receiving. I want us to agree together Amen. on those points of prayer. Amen. And also to just begin this first growth university with just acknowledging the Lord and asking him to cover this year for this church, not just in terms of us as a corporate body, but our unique individual families that God, we want your blessing upon this year as we begin it. So would you go with me now to the Lord? God, we love you and we thank you. For the opportunity to be in your house, in your presence with your people, to hear your word, God, and be fed by it, be strengthened by it. I believe, Lord, in the power of your word, God, that people can be healed, can be strengthened in a very specific context tonight. God, we acknowledge your sovereignty and your healing power, Lord, in the life of Sister Reed, this person who means so much to all of us, I pray. For a special touch of heaven upon her even now as we're praying god we are agreeing in your holy name for a complete healing for your will to be accomplished in this season lord in her life and in her body i believe god for the miracle of recovery for her lord jesus that there would be no long-term effects of this treatment that she's receiving of this cancer that you would anoint every physician every person that is overseeing her care, cover them and anoint them to take care of her because she belongs to you. God, we acknowledge you in this first growth university. 
Lord, that you are the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We are totally dependent on you for all that we need this year, God, and you have it all in control. And so bless what we do, bless what we know and what we don't know about the coming days. We want to acknowledge you in all of our ways. In Jesus' name, direct our paths. Amen. 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 The presence of the Lord is here and you can be seated. I thank you for standing and praying with me tonight. I know I say it every time, but I'm very excited about this series of Growth University on the names of God is what we are going to begin 2023 with. And I felt like Sunday's message was great confirmation for the timing of this series. I have personally wanted to dig a little deeper into this topic. Um, as you know, I feel like the Old Testament is something that maybe is sometimes undervalued by us as New Testament believers, but it is really the foundation upon which God built his church and the plan of salvation as we know it. There is so much for us to understand and benefit from as it relates to how God reveals himself to his people in the Old Testament. And I feel like this series and its timing is especially significant. Uh, originally, we had planned to do it later in the year, but some things changed in Calvary's schedule. And I just felt confirmation in the Holy Ghost today while I was studying that God wants us to begin this new year with a fresh understanding of who he is and who he wants to reveal himself to be in our lives. Because this is what I know. God wants to be known by us. Yes. It's why he created us. From the very beginning, God made us to realize that we were created for an intimate connection with him. That God, though he created everything, the heavens and the earth, he created animals, the plants, everything in the earth already glorified him. The angels already worshipped him, but we were created not just to be known by him, but he wants to be known by us. And that's why we find in Genesis 3 that God is walking in the cool of the day looking for Adam and Eve. He was desiring that intimate connection with them, and that is why they hid themselves. They knew. Adam understood. I think it's important for us to acknowledge the fact that the Bible tells us specifically in 1 Timothy 2 that Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. God love her. But she receives all the blame for all that is. And I've been guilty of that. But the Bible lets us know Adam was not deceived. Why? Because God was known by him. God did not hide his will for them. He did not hide his word. He had clearly drawn those boundaries for them to keep them safe within the context of his holy presence in that perfect place that was Eden. But the reason why Eve could be lied to, the reason why Adam understood the implications of what Satan was tempting them, them with, all point to the fact that God had already made himself known to Adam and Eve. And so he walked and he talked with them. He was in relationship with them, one that they betrayed with their sin. And so they hid from the God who wanted to be known by them. 
One of the last series of this past year we did was on Psalm 23. And in that series, we talked about how Jesus identified himself with the Old Testament when he called himself the Good Shepherd. We understood through that study that a shepherd knows and cares for his flock in every way possible. He doesn't just know their needs, he anticipates their needs because he is intimately acquainted with them. Everything a shepherd does is done to assure his sheep that you can trust me. You can follow me and be taken care of. He wants to establish them. You can depend on me. I know what you need and I'll take care of every need that you have. And so Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. And so in my study today, I found it interesting to note that the word Jesus uses here in John chapter 10 is the same word both times. I'm sure you've realized in your study of the scripture that sometimes there are words that are the same in English, but then when you look at their origin in the Hebrew or the Greek, depending on where you're studying, you realize those two words, though the same for us, mean something else in that time and place. But this word is not like that. That word that Jesus uses means to be known, to learn, to come to know. And so it's important for you and I to understand that Jesus was not just saying, I'm known by my sheep and I know them, meaning I know everything about you, but you don't know much about me because there's this line here that you can't cross. No, Jesus uses the same term that implies intimacy. Why? Because he wants to know you and I and he wants us to know him back. Isn't that a powerful thing? That's why it was so powerful that the moment Jesus died on the cross, the Bible lets us know the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom because Jesus' death let all of us know that no longer is there a separation between God's people and his holiness. That we can know him fully. We don't have to go to a priest to take care of the sin problem in our lives. But Paul said you and I can walk boldly into the throne room, into his presence and ask for that forgiveness for ourselves because God wants to be known by us. And so through this study over the next several weeks, my prayer is that through studying what God lets us know about himself, through the names that are used for him in scripture, that it will compel us to get closer to him, that we'll recognize a need maybe to understand God better in a specific way, to maybe trust him more in a specific area of our lives. We need to face our sin in the light of his glory and grace. We need to come out of the shadows of depression and shame in 2023. We need to turn our eyes on Jesus in the context of the imperfection of our lives. We need to know who Jesus is for ourselves and for this world that is broken and shattered without him. 
We need to carry the light of fresh revelation and intimacy into our homes and in our workplaces that everywhere you and I go in the year 2023 can become holy ground because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And where he is, is a holy place. I believe that if we really believe God is who he says he is, it will transform how we view everything in our lives. And I must confess to you, I don't know how long this series will be. Usually I have an idea as I start studying. I kind of have the weeks planned out. But today I just felt a little, a little challenged personally to just let the Lord kind of guide us through these series. And maybe there are certain names we'll spend some extended time on based on what the Lord knows you and I need. All right? So we will finish. Just don't know when. All right? So you trust me as I trust you. But um, I want to direct you to our resource for this series is The Power of God's Name by Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, um, wonderful theologian and um, Christian writer, preacher, teacher, has a profound ministry, and um, that is the book that we are going to be referring to. And so we begin, and as I began to ponder this subject today, the well-known question Posed by William Shakespeare in Romeo and Juliet came to my mind and has probably come to some of yours. Jessalyn's smiling at me. She knows what I'm going to say. What's in a name? For Mr. Shakespeare, in the context of his famous tragic play, which I hate, the answer was, sorry Jay, the answer was not much really. For Romeo and Juliet, it was their names attached to their family identities that stood in the way of true love. But I think in the real world, especially ours, names carry great weight. Marketing is king in our culture. It can make or break a product or a movement. Name recognition is paramount in the world that we live in. Have you ever heard of, have you ever seen, do you know about, well, if you have heard what is being referenced in a conversation, it is most likely due to the way that a person or a product is presented to the world through some media outlet because names carry the identity of something. In a name, the value or reputation of something is housed. Apple, Gucci, Lexus, Magnolia. A key to success in the world that we live in is more than just name recognition, but what that name, what that brand represents. Has it been clearly communicated and represented to you and I? For example, if you watch or see something with the name Magnolia, you will have certain expectations. Beauty, simplicity, family, excellence, something black and white, something with shiplap. <laughs> their name carries their brand. Last spring, we went to the Mecca 
I took the queen mum to the silos, the house that Chip and Jojo built. And it is everything that you would expect it to be. It is a completely immersive, relaxing, therapeutic environment. Has anybody been to the silos? And you can attest to the glory that is there in Waco, Texas. I have one of my favorite pictures of my mom and I to date is of us sitting in these black and white striped lounge chairs on the lawn and we are just, we're just there. We're just so happy and relaxed because this brand, this idea of Magnolia is so clear. We were totally immersed and captivated by it. Thank you, Chip and Joanna Gaines. But there are also imposters. Those who would use the name Magnolia to benefit the brand created by the Gaines family. Have you noticed that the name Magnolia is really popular now with restaurants and businesses? I feel like I see and hear that word a lot more often because names are weighty. And then there's the power of individual names. While not as sacred as it was in ancient times, giving someone a name is serious business. Were there any couples that just really struggled through that process? I know that we did. We were, we were at odds for a while. We all have opinions about the names that we give our children, especially when it's our turn to make that decision because I don't know about you, I don't know if you like your name, but that seems to really fuel people's motivation and fire. If you hate your name, then oh my word, it's such a tedious, emotionally exhausting process to figure out. I'm going to give a ch my child a name that they're going to love because I have hated my name my whole life. <laughs> Growing up, I had two really close friends at, at camp and we were all named Kristen. Three girls hanging out together. We were the Christians because we were all born around 81, 82 when Dallas was a popular show on TV and the name Kristen was at the top of the list. And so for me, in my journey, in my process, I wanted to go with something classic, something that will always be okay. I was afraid of trends, so I was a big Jane Austen fan in high school, so Emma was on my list. But the reason why, in all honesty, Emma is Emma is because it was literally the only name that Tom and I could agree on. <laughs> and that's the truth. There was no divine revelation, you know. I've had friends tell me, God gave me their name. And I'm like, that is great for you. But Tom and I couldn't agree on anything else but Emma. And that's why she is who she is. I had a name that was at the top of my list. And every time I would bring it up, Tom would say, I went to high school with a girl by that name. <laughs> and she was so obnoxious. <laughs> like, well, let's change that. Let's give our daughter a name and you'll feel differently about that name. The point is, a lot is in a name. For some, the more names, the better. It implies importance or is a way to pass down names and honor a lot of people in your family. Do you, do you know someone with more than one middle name? Anybody out there? I do. Asher Norman Russell. <laughs> Absolutely, he has two middle names. Does anybody know anyone who doesn't have a middle name? I, I do. 
My dad's mom didn't have a middle name. Her name was Mary Alice. That was it. Just one name, Mary Alice Floyd. My brother-in-law is just Joe Ellis. Joe Ellis. That's it. Angela has a middle name. Tom has a middle name. And adding to the middle child syndrome. <laughs> Joe has no middle name. And he just laughs and shakes his head because mom will say, I just forgot. <laughs> she forgot to give him a middle name. And he was born on April the 1st, which doesn't help. <laughs> so happy birthday, happy April Fool's Day, just Joe Ellis. He's a good guy, God love him. But I, I have family with multiple middle names. I already mentioned Asher and my Nana is here. Her grandmother was a twin, and so it's twin girls, and between the two of them, they shared 10 names, okay? So this is, this is old school. This is back in the day. This is out in the country in Missouri, but um, Alia and Aline were their first names, but the names they shared were Adeline, hence Addie's name, Caroline, Hitavichi Valentine, Anavichi Annie Moore. Why? No one knows. <laughs> they named them that because they could. And so it's just a part of the family legend. Some would say that the measure of success is determined by the use of only one name. You are so awesome, everybody knows you by one name. Elvis, Bono, Cher, Dolly, LeBron, Kobe, you get it. There's only one of them. They stand in a class all their own. But in the scripture, we see repeatedly the significance of names, that God changed many people's names as evidence of their newfound identity in him. Abram and Sarai became Sarah and Abraham. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. Simon's name was turned to Peter. And according to Dr. Evans in our resource, in Scripture, a name often connotates purpose, authority, makeup, and character. To the God we serve, a lot is in a name. God told Isaiah in chapter 52, verse 6, Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. Proverbs 18, verse 10 tells us God cares about his name. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And so specifically to us as believers, there is a lot to be learned and found in the names of God. There's healing in God's name. There's peace in God's name. There's salvation in his name. It is our covering. It is our identity. It is our safe place. And so tonight we're going to begin with two names of God, Elohim and Jehovah. Elohim is the very first name God reveals to us in scripture. And since it is first, we know we find it in Genesis. 
And so be, to be clear, I don't want you to be confused at all, you will not read the name Elohim when you read it in your KJV, okay? But it is that word for God, if you look it up in the Hebrew, you will find the word Elohim. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God, or Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And so anything God does first carries with it great significance for you and I. God is a God of order and intention. And so with this first revelation of his name, he is laying the foundation for everything else he's going to tell us about himself. And so this is God's introduction. This is God introducing to us for the very first time who he is and what this name means. Elohim simply means the strong creator God. In the beginning, God did not just create all that is, but he is also establishing for us the bedrock of who he is, that he is the creator of everything. Time, space, creation itself, none of it precedes him. He has always been, he is first in everything. None of it exists outside of him. It's important for us to understand that God is distinct from his creation. He is not like us. When Job confronts God about his plight, God answers Job with a mind-blowing, mic-dropping question. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, Job. If you have understanding, God doesn't answer Job's questions, but he essentially tells Job, you can't handle the truth. Some of you got it. Some of you didn't. That here in the fiery trial of Job's life, God points Job back to this fundamental understanding that I am Elohim. I am the creator, as Brother Mooney used to make us say all the time at IBC, I am God and you are not. Therefore, I can't answer your question because you couldn't understand the answer. He's not like us. And that's a really good thing. It is my opinion that it is one of the most important things that you and I can understand about God. It's really, really good news that he's not like us. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. And he does not change. He has no limitations. What confines us and our humanity, he is not confined by those things. In fact, he proceeds all of those things because he created everything. Time. He's not limited by it. He made it. He doesn't grow old or weary, Isaiah said. Space. Since God is the creator, he precedes everything. God existed when space did not. Now just take a moment and try to wrap your brain around that. Because that's a real brain teaser. Paul talks about it in his sermon 
on Mars Hill in Acts 17. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, for in him we live and move and have our being. You and I cannot exist outside of Elohim, our creator, the God who made us and knows us. John said it this way, all things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. And so here in Genesis 1, God establishes through his name, Elohim, that he is not just the creator, he is the restorer. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Dr. Evans points this out in his book, and I have never heard this before, that the Hebrew phrase for formless and void translates that the earth was a waste or a garbage dump when God comes to it in Genesis 1. It was much more than just black nothingness. The earth was a wasteland. How did it get that way in the beginning? God doesn't create places like that. And he already existed before what was there was there. And so somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, something happened that messed up what God did. Isn't that relatable in our lives? That in between these verses, we know Satan falls. And so here in these first two verses of the Holy Writ is all the hope that you and I need to face this year with. That God is not just a creator, but he is a restorer. That God does not just make something out of nothing. He can take something that is broken and make it new again. And that, my friends, is what the New Testament is all about. That before Adam and Eve were created, God establishes, whatever you mess up, I can fix it. I alone am the creator of all things, and I alone am the restorer of all things. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The creator, my friends, has a plan for our lives. There is purpose for everything in creation, even the wasteland of our lives. Jeremiah said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You may feel like the earth right now in Genesis 1-2, without purpose, a wasteland of good things that used to be, but you and I serve Elohim tonight, who doesn't just create us one time and say, all right, I got you started, now you're on your own. But Elohim will also step back in and say, are you done messing yourself up? Because I'll make you new again. Just give me that opportunity over and over again. 
Amen. Our second name as we hasten to our app time is Jehovah. While Elohim is used by God first, Jehovah is significant because it is used by God the most in the Old Testament. 6,519 times to be exact. In Exodus 3 is probably one of the most well-known ways that God uses Jehovah when he tells Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. You see, at this point, Moses asks a very good question of God. He says, God, I'm going to show up to Pharaoh and all these people that I grew up with and all these Egyptians, and, and they're going to look at me and say, who in the world do you think you are? What am I supposed to say? And God gives him a very important answer. He says, you tell them Yahweh has sent you. I am that I am. And so here's where we find the tetragrammaton. I love saying this. It's four letters used for the name of God. Y-H-W-H. Yahweh. Yahweh, when translated into English, is Jehovah. So they are not two separate names, but Jehovah is the English version of Yahweh. Dr. Evans says this, if Elohim is God's creative and powerful name, then Jehovah is God's personal name. God is essentially adding another layer to our understanding of who he is here in this conversation with Moses at the burning bush. He essentially says, you know me as Elohim, the all-powerful creator, but you can call me Jehovah. It's like when I've met someone for the first time and I'm introduced as Sister Ellis, I'm usually pretty quick to say, but you can call me Kristen. That's the name I prefer. I'm telling that person, I want to be your friend. I don't want to just be your formal acquaintance. I don't want to just be Mrs. Ellis or Audrey's mom. My name is Kristen, and I want you to call me that, if you will. You see, we can believe in God as Elohim, our creator. Without having a relationship with him, many people do. He can be Elohim to us, but not be Jehovah. He is the creator, the all-powerful, all-knowing God. We can acknowledge that, but it is up to you and I to allow him to be that personal God of Jehovah in our lives. He is the I am, not who I want him to be. And the only way I can know who he is and what he likes and what he doesn't like is if I'm in that personal Jehovah-type relationship with him, and he wants me to have it. And so it's important for us to understand, though, when Moses gets this profound revelation, this new name for God that he is to use when he goes back home to Egypt, that he does not stay at that burning bush of revelation. God tells him to go 
to continue in that understanding, to continue in this relationship with God. Too many times we are content to know in theory who God is. But God wants us to experience who he is for ourselves. In fact, it is within the context of the fire, of the burning bush, if you will, that many of our personal revelations of who God is come to us. God speaks to us through the fiery trials of our lives. That's why Peter said, count it all joy, because you're being made gold through this fire of revelation, not just a horrible experience, but when God is in the fire with you, you understand better who he is and what he wants to be in your life. And I can tell you, my friends, that the more you know about God, the more you want to know him. We see Moses go from the burning bush all through the wilderness with God's people, meeting God in the tent, following the pillar of cloud by day, following the pillar of fire by night. Why? Because then we see him up on Mount Sinai saying, God, show me your glory. I want to know you as much as you will allow. And I am here to remind you, my friends, that the Bible promises you and I that if we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That as much as your heart burns and there is a desire that only he can fulfill by getting to know him better, God in turn wants you to know him better because he is Jehovah, a personable God. And so for apt time tonight, I want you to consider with someone near you which name in tonight's lesson means the most to you at this time in your life. Is it Elohim, the powerful creator God? Or is it Jehovah, I am who I am. I am a personable God. All right, so those are your two choices for this time. And I'll give you a couple minutes and we'll come back together for the conclusion.
to wrap up what you're saying and invite you to stand with me. Just want to offer a concluding thought to you tonight. That the name Elohim is where we begin in our relationship with God. We have to acknowledge that he's our creator, that he is all-powerful, that he has all the answers and we don't. But Jehovah is where he wants us to live. He wants us to live in that relationship where he can show us, I am who I am. Let me show you what that means right now. That need you have in your life, I am. And as we study, we're going to realize every need that we'll ever have, God has a name for himself to fill that need in your life. It's an exciting, exciting study. But humility is required to be close to God. God told Moses, take your sandals off. I'm about to tell you something really important. And the ground is holy that you're standing on. And I need you to lay aside your way so that you can hear what I'm asking you to do. And you can live your life my way now, Moses. And I think it's such a powerful illustration of what happens to us when we are baptized. We stand at that burning bush that we experience personally, revelation of who God is, and it is an immediate response. What do I have to do? That's what they asked on the day of Pentecost after they heard Peter preach. What are we supposed to do? They realized their need for God. They were ready to take off their sandals, so to speak, and say, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to do whatever it is that God asked me to do. And so in baptism, we take on God's name. It's symbolic, not just of him covering our past, but he covers our future when his name is attached to our lives. Because we are laying down who we used to be. And God's name and all that it means and all that we will learn it to be in our lives is called out over us and becomes a part of our own name. But that doesn't happen unless we humble ourselves in baptism. And so I want to encourage you tonight that if you are longing to know God better, if you are in the midst of a fiery trial, God is using that experience to humble you so that you can know him better. That's what he told the children of Israel. You've been wandering around the wilderness totally dependent on me so that you would know better who I am and what I am willing to do for you. How deeply I care for your everyday needs. It's in the wilderness of our lives that we identify with the names that God gives himself to us in the scripture. And so be encouraged. I believe that there is something for you in this series, not because of the book we're using, certainly not because I'm teaching, but because of the power of God's word to transform our thinking. I believe that if you can grab a hold to the meaning of some of these names, God can change your perspective here at the beginning of 2023 as you face things that are already present and prepare you for things that are yet to come.
And so I want to pray for you, and I would ask you to agree with me that God would just humble us enough that we can hear how much we need him as we learn about his names. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for just the holy presence that I feel in this room. You want to be known. The devil is a liar. He tells us through our discouragement and through our shame that we will never get to a place to be closely connected to you, that we are not worthy to know you in the ways that the people in the Bible did. And it is not true that if we are baptized, your name is already on our lives, that God, if we can stay in that position of humility, of total dependency on you, it releases you to prove yourself to us. And that is what I'm asking you to do, God, as we learn about your names, prove yourself to us. Let our humility, let our obedience to your word give you the opportunity to be everything that you said that you would be in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I ask these things. Go with us now and let your name cover us. Let us do everything to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being at this first Growth University. Please take the time to encourage somebody. Let them know that you love them and that you're wishing them a great 2023. Amen. This webcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. We pray that what you just heard proves to be life-changing, and we hope that you can join us in person very soon. So until next time, God bless, and thank you for listening.